everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host on this show. We're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until you get rid of a bomb. No, until the end of time. <laughs> until you get rid of a bomb is a different franchise, so ignore that one. That was Nicole all pre-episode talk. Get rid of a bomb. And I left it in, and I'm sorry, James. I've Hopefully I didn't step on any bits that you you know created for this intro. <laughs> nah, I don't create bits. I only destroy yours. <laughs> See, my bit all along is just destroying. Yeah, that's yeah. I like that. It's like that's that's, my, that's, that's my, my secret, secret Colin. <laughs> I'm always destroying bits. Um, that's my secret, Colin. Get rid of a bomb. All right. So, <laughs> you know, what we shouldn't get rid of though is season seven of Agents of Shield episode one. That's At least correct, not yet. Colin. That's correct. We're going because we're going to talk about it first, and after we're done talking about it, then we can get rid of it. Absolutely, and then it then we can never speak about it ever again. Exactly. So this is season seven, episode one. Start at thirty seven oh three, end at thirty seven thirteen for a patented uh, timeline scavengers ten second episode. Ten uh, second clip. Hap- ten second it, clip. If this episode was ten seconds, it was it's already over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it was over with. Uh, get rid of a bot. <laughs> oh, um, that's it. That was it exploding. That was the uh, MacGruber oh, no. moment. <laughs> like, MacGruber, the bomb. The You're right. But I just think that MacGruber. <laughs> God, I love that. Those that was bits. a good sketch. That God, was, was good. so good. Anyway, all right. So, um, I did make a door hit me in the face joke. I just wanted to make sure that you. you oh, heard. I didn't hear. I'm sorry. What was it? I just and then the bomb explodes and then the door hits me in the face. <laughs> Um, and kills you instantly. And kills me instantly. The bomb doesn't do any damage. The door is what. Twasn't the me. bomb that killed the beast? Twas the door. <laughs> All right. So here's what happens in these ten seconds. The woman says, uh, "Remember the woman, the mysterious phrase, mysterious contact." The what? hang on. I, oh, I don't have wood to tap on, but that was too many times. But the way she was like, yeah, yeah exactly. And I was like, can I get you a drink? And she's like, yeah. no, handsome. You can get me a tall order of follow me. I'm your contact. Yeah. And he's exactly. like, my God, it's 1931. <laughs> Suddenly has a big cigar. <laughs> it's like, yeah, see, we're going to blow up Florida, <laughs> see? Yeah. That's how they all work. <laughs> They've always blown up Florida. If only they succeeded. All I right, think that's so- a coward, the cur- no, courage the cowardly dog bit. I'm like I vaguely remember a gigantic foot that was in oh. the mafia, and the big toe was like the mob boss, and then all the other toes like fell in line. And I believe <laughs> the toe, like the big toe, had this big cigar, and we go, yeah, Shane, we're gonna blow up Florida, Shane. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Shane. Like it was like, yeah, that's all I remember of that show. But that and Return the Slab is all I remember of that TV show. Hey, wow, uh, that big toe had four toadies. Oh, okay. so the Moving woman says on. that they should. <laughs> <laughs> the one says that they should go somewhere more secure to talk. Freddie follows her. And she doesn't actually do that. So here's what actually happens. Here's the only thing that, that happens is she says this. We need somewhere quiet to talk. Follow me. And then he does. Which leads me to a two-part hostgen. Oh, God. Okay. Host to hostgen. Um, here we go. One is a short answer. The other one is a multiple choice. 
Which one would you like first? Let's 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 make this part um, making part of the decision process process. Let's do multiple choice first. Here's the short answer. No, okay. okay, multiple choice. Yep. Which do you think contributed most to Freddie just going with her? Number one, her looks. Number two, the folly of youth. Number three, the fact that he was already mixed up in some shit. Or number four, boredom. The thing is, uh, this is tough because, like, I think that if you'd rather sh- rank them, you could rank them. If yeah, you I to. think it would be already wrapped up into some shit. Then looks. What was the second one again? The folly of youth. Then the folly of youth. Because I feel like the folly of youth is then related to finding her attractive. Mm-hmm, but like sure. the boredom thing, I think if you're living in 1931, I think you're just used to being bored all the just, time. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll smash some glasses at an inopportune moment just to feel something. <laughs> yeah, just to, hey, you know, I just, I just want to feel something again. I'm going to dock two cents for my pay. By hey, uh, the folly glasses. of youth, more like the followy of youth. All right, the so the short answer question. Okay. What's the minimum an attractive person would have to say to you to get you to go off to a more private place with them? Oh, God, James, here's the problem. I've been <laughs> single for almost four years. At this point, honestly, it would take almost nothing. And that's you the sad, a, honest truth. <laughs> you um, write a question you know the exact answer to. and <laughs> it's like, I mean, if this, no, actually, truth be told, I think that uh, it would probably take more than I think people would actually expect of me. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that comes down to what we mentioned in the last episode, which is self-esteem issues um, right. and also crippling social anxiety. So sure. if a stranger just walked up to me, it doesn't matter how attractive or, you know, or not they are, whether that's, you know, physically or like emotionally or like mentally. Right. I don't care what, like where you are, who you are as a person. Right. Where if you're you walk from, up to what me, you did. Yeah. <laughs> and on how I'm going to tell the cops of what you have done, you monster. <laughs> no, uh, no. It's the idea of like, if you just walk up to me as a total stranger and you're like, hi, I'd like for you to follow me. I'm going to be like, Hey, my parents taught me about stranger danger. And this is that like, why are like, it is uncomfortable to me that you've come up to talk to me, but also I do desperately want you to like me. So maybe I should follow you. So there's going to be a lot of conversation of back and forth between the different sides of my brain. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually I will probably just like flip a coin or say, Hey, I'll tell you what, let me go just run to the restroom and then I'll you know come out and we'll go to wherever you want to go. And during that time, I'm not actually going to the restroom. I'm just texting like you or someone going, yeah. Oh my God. Hey, this person said this thing to me. What do I do? You know? And, yeah. uh, I imagine that at least one of you will be the angel on my shoulder and one of you will be the devil mm-hmm. and you two will duke it out. And then you'll tell me where to go. Who's the, the other one is Morgan. Yeah, of course it is. I would. I would. I love the fact that, that I didn't even say it, and like you just immediately were like, "So Morgan, all right." <laughs> um, I think that it would also, uh, if I was there as just sort of like I'm just hanging out. Yeah, it would be so much easier than if I'm there like tending bar. Oh, absolutely. Okay, that's another good point. If I'm yeah. fucking working. Yeah. And you walk up to me and you're like, hi, follow me. I'm going to be like, no, I don't get off for another two hours. Like, so how would know. you like to get off now? I'm like, that sounded dirty. And my mother listens to this show. So I can't respond to that. <laughs> but also, can you come back in two hours? No, um, I would just be like, what? I've, the other thing is actually, here's another sad truth about me is that uh, because of like my self-esteem issues uh, is that I think that very firmly, I bet there probably are people that have flirted with me many times in my life 
and it's gone completely over my head because I don't think of myself as being somewhat. Thank you, James. Yeah, I know. I know. Trust me. It's not a mystery to me when you flirt. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but uh, which is all the time. No, um, it's the all only reason the you started this show. Uh, That's right. You actually hate Marvel. You just really wanted opportunities to to be like, hey, what's up? You know, big boy. Anyway, um, after we stop recording, I just I just throw myself in a pile of flash comic books and just like writhe around because i'm like ah dc thank god you're like oh my god superman save me um uh and your weird characters and your weird storylines and your lack thank of god for wonder woman jesus christ oh wonder woman jesus christ crossover blue beetle only you can save me now anyway uh enough of the dc shit um they're, yes. they're not paying us anything well neither is marvel but anyway <laughs> yet. um yet that's a good point <laughs> Uh, where the fuck was I? Oh, no. So I think that frequently, though, people flirt with me and I just absolutely don't see it because it's like I'm fucking oblivious. I think it goes right over my head. So I do think that if I wasn't already, you know, mixed up in her nefarious shit that we've just previously mentioned. Yeah. Because like also remember in this scene, she's like, I'm your contact. Right. But if I, if someone was like, I'm your contact, I'd be like, for what? I'd, I'd be, I mean, if I didn't actually know, I'd be so confused. Or if she was like, hey, you know, we should go do this thing. I'd be like. Uh, what? No, I mean I'm at I'm at work, but they no. Yeah. I think you might have. I think that guy might is that the guy that you're looking for? Because like I'm working, but that guy I think is saying or like I it would just you know go over my head and be like I don't understand what's happening. So I'm my just, name's also Freddy. They only hire Freddies to tend this bar. <laughs> it is also a little bit of um. Oh my God, what is that thing where? Oh God, it's in Arrested Development where she's like, I don't understand the question and therefore I will not dignify it with an answer. That is that is a little yeah. bit of the mentality of like, if it goes over my head and you ask me something like that, I'm going to be like, I don't understand what's happening, so I'm going to leave. Yes. Thank you. Like, I'm just, <laughs> Good day. Yeah, good, I said good day. I said good day. Um, Here's a fun game. That, that you can play listener at a live show maybe or like some sort of con or whatever um colin this is it oh, anytime God. i'm in public yep. um watch my face and entire whole thing if someone uh meets me at my level of banter and flirtiness i shut down it's because scary. i'm like i start see like my eyelids get hot and I'm like, they are. I understand that entirely. You know, you know, you know what it is, though, James. It's because I cope with that with like a bigger personality and jokes. Mm -hmm. And then if someone meets me there and they're attractive, I'm like, yeah, I that that's it. My last like my last like trump card, like my last possible advantage, it's out the window. Yeah, and my body just shuts down because I've lost. I it's it's impossible. I can't move further. In this game, it's like a game of solitaire where you're like, oh, there's no moves to make. Yeah. Like, I have exactly. to just stop. And like, I go, well, reshuffle, leave, come back later. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, that's I, it. The same reason I don't like to get into arguments with people is the same reason I don't. Listen, I'm fine when people flirt with me. It's fine. I'm not trying to say that. But the reason I shut down is because I'm like, oh, my God there's too much it's like a feedback loop it's like if you mm. talk really quietly and then you try and like adjust the levels and it's just like i guess i'll just go even higher yeah. than them because i'm used to this level and then i'm like but that would be incredibly inappropriate both for anger or flirtiness so yeah i would i would stand there being like oh, no i, I just I, <laughs> I just uh. 
and then she'd just walk away and just go do nefarious with the next one down. I was so scared at first, by the way, when you were talking to me about, uh, you're like, hey, here's a fun game to play at any live show or anything. I was like, please don't have people just come up to me and flirt with me (laughs) unexpected. Because again, it's either going to go over my head or I'm going to go, ha ha, uh, thanks for the show. That's it. I'm like I'm just I'm gonna bolt. Um, <laughs> the show hasn't even started yet. You're like, they're like, well, you're like Colin. That's just the guy giving you your mic pack. What's ha- what? <laughs> we've got a show to do. And I'm like, meanwhile, that guy's like, here's a here's your mic pack, handsome. And you're like, oh my James, god, did you see that, James? 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 Where'd he go? James? James? <laughs> oh god, feeling behind you, like trying to. <laughs> my eyelids, they're so hot. And he's like, oh, okay. <sighs> All right, uh, sir. I'm just gonna I just leave. got like memory eyelid um stuff. All right. So No, I I totally get that. Hey. Hey, James. You want to hear about uh music of 1931? Uh yes, please. It feels much safer than this conversation. Great. Great. <laughs> um Colin? Yeah. I want to talk to you about a musician. Okay. Uh this musician's name is Edward Kennedy Duke Ellington. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, I don't know so, if I've ever actually looked at Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington. Yes, I have, of course. Him. Never mind. That yeah. was that was wild of me to think. Have I ever seen? And I, yeah, <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> have I ever? <laughs> the thing you're like, I do this every week, but I forget that I've ever. Um, have I ever said the word kumquat before? Right. <laughs> so, um, he was an American composer, pianist, and leader of a jazz orchestra from 1923 through the rest of his life. It says. Yep. Um, there's a really cool New Yorker article about him. Uh, you can find it in the New Yorker's The Forties. Uh, like, it's not a TPB because it's a magazine, but like, they put out this book that was all stuff from the Forties. There's a really cool interview, and like the the journalist followed them around through mm-hmm. all their stuff. Anyways, um, dude is really great, and you should listen to Duke Ellington. Absolutely, just my, yeah. He was born in Washington D.C. Uh, but based in New York City, mm-hmm. mm. uh, from the nineteen twenty from the mid nineteen twenties, uh, he gained a national. Oh, sorry, he was based in New York City from the mid nineteen twenties and gained a national profile through his orchestra's appearances at the Cotton Club in Harlem. In the nineteen thirties, his orchestra toured Europe several times. Although a pivotal figure in the history of jazz, in the opinion of Gunther Schuller and Barry Kernfeld, who even trusts them anymore the most significant composer of the genre. Ellington himself embraced the phrase beyond category, considering it a liberating principle and referring to his music as part of the more general category of American music. That sounds a very James sentence. He's always (laughs) like, forget genre, forget what you know about categories. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that I'm just like Duke Ellington. Moving swiftly on for uh, any pull back on that ellington was known for his inventive use of the orchestra and inventive use of the orchestra or big band as well as his for his eloquence and charisma he was awarded a posthumous pulitzer prize special award for music in 1999 so um i want to tell you about how he uh a little bit about his uh sort of late 20s early 30s sort of situation sure um, in 1920, in September 1927, King Oliver turned down a regular booking for his group as the band, the house band at Harlem's Cotton Club. Uh, King Oliver, I know as uh, the first track on the Essential Louis Armstrong album because Louis Armstrong played trumpet in King Oliver's band. Um, 
so when they did that, they um, the Cotton Club was like, all right, let's go next down the list. Uh, Duke Ellington. Uh, so <laughs> the offer passed to Ellington after Jimmy McHugh suggested him and Mills arranged an audition. These are people that we've met in things I didn't paste from the Wikipedia article. So they're not important because they're not Duke Ellington. Ellington had to increase from a six to 11 piece group to meet the requirements of the Cotton Club's management for the audition. And the engagement finally began on December 4th, which listener, it is currently where I am 1158 on December 3rd. So in two minutes, while I'm still talking about this, uh, it will be um, the something anniversary of Duke Ellington's band uh, starting to play at the Cotton Club. Wow, that's Also Jay-Z's birthday. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, With a weekly radio broadcast, the Cotton Club's exclusively white and wealthy clientele poured in nightly to see them. At the Cotton Club, Ellington's group performed all the the music for the reviews, which mixed comedy, dance numbers, vaudeville burlesque music, and illicit alcohol. The musical numbers were composed by Jimmy McHugh and the lyrics by Dorothy Fields, later Harold Arlen and Ted Kohler, with some Ellington originals mixed in. Here, he moved in with a dancer, his second wife, Mildred Dixon. Weekly radio broadcasts from the club gave Ellington national exposure. At the same time, Ellington also recorded Fields, Jim, Fields, Fields, Jay McHugh, and Fats Waller and Andy Razaf songs. Um, in 1929, he was in his first movie, which was called Black and Tan, a 19-minute all-African-American RKO short in which he played the hero, Duke. He was like, I, I already have a nickname. Um... He also appeared in the Amos and Andy film Check and Double Check, released in 1930. That year, Ellington and his orchestra connected with a whole different audience in a concert with Maurice Chevalier, former Music of 1931 uh, alumnus Maurice Chevalier. And they also performed at the Roseland Ballroom, uh, quote, America's foremost ballroom. Millennials these days don't even have a foremost ballroom. Australian-born composer Percy Granger was an early admirer and supporter. He wrote... That's wild. The three. Was that? Per- like, uh, having Percy Granger come up in the conversation is wild to me. Tell me about Percy Granger for a sec. What's a, what's a TLDR Percy Granger? Percy Granger is like this big time composer, uh, mostly in like symphonic style music and like marches mm-hmm. and um, using a lot of like folk music. Hmm. Lincolnshire Posey is a, a huge number, which originally was two pianos. Um, with you know, like a song that was written for two pianos, four hands, uh, mm. but he also arranged it for like a wind ensemble, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a wild you know jump there. Uh, but yeah. Lincolnshire Posey is like, like I think it's kind of like the quintessential um, work by Percy Granger. But hmm. so many bands and uh, and somebody like that have done Percy Granger music um, in their lives. Uh, whether it's middle school or high school, maybe even college, actually, to be honest with you. Hmm. So it's like, it's just like that. He's like a big composer, but like more for like the, the nerds of the musicians. Sure. Life, right. Sure. Life, right. Yeah. Um, I'm saying that to put myself on blast. I did all yeah, those things. Yeah, okay. For sure. Uh, that, uh, that brief aside about Percy Granger was rated PG. Um, <laughs> yeah, Percy Granger wrote the three greatest composers who ever lived are Bach, Delius and Duke Ellington. Unfortunately, Bach is dead. Delius is very ill, but we are happy to have with us today the Duke. Um, and then Ellington's yeah, cool. first period at the Cotton Club concluded in 1931. What? Do you mean the year that we're talking about right now? The year we're talking about, exactly. That's not so cool. the song we're talking about is a song called Mood Indigo. 
and Pretty this sure is also a pretty yeah exactly it's a i mean yeah hey listener if if you aren't familiar with duke ellington um pretty much like all his songs are pretty you probably have heard at least i mean take the a train is like i think probably the most well-known duke ellington absolutely song, but um you probably have heard duke ellington and not even realized it so uh, this song was composed for a radio broadcast in october 1930 and was originally titled dreamy blues it was quote the first tune i ever wrote specially for microphone transmission ellington recalled the next day, wads of mail came in raving about the new tune, so Irving Mills put a, a lyric to it. Renamed Mood Indigo, it became a jazz standard. Um, the main theme was provided by Bigard, who learned it in New Orleans. Hey, New Orleans, that's hey, where you are. That, that is where I am. <laughs> uh, Louisiana, not Ontario. From his clarinet <laughs> teacher, Lorenzo If you had Tio. followed it up with, oh, sorry, never mind, Ontario. <laughs> I would have lost my mind. <laughs> from his clarinet teacher Lorenzo Tio, who called it a Mexican blues. Ellington's arrangement was first recorded by his band for Brunswick Records on October 17th, 1930. It was recorded twice more in 1930. Um, so, people in the band uh, that I'm about to talk about, because they did some weird arrangements for this, so let's, let's meet the band. Arthur Wetzel on trumpet, Tricky Sam Nanton on trombone, Barney Biggard on clarinet, Duke Ellington heard of him on piano, Fred Guy on banjo, Wellman Browd on bass and Sonny Greer on drums. So, Ellington blended muted trumpet, muted trombone, and clarinet. Mm-hmm. He took the traditional front line, trumpet, trombone, and clarinet, and inverted them. Um, he chose Ivan Luan, Luanau's real name, Eve Duke. Why would you. Okay. <laughs> My name is Jack Smith, but now I'm going to be actually. No, I get it. Actually, I get it. Because um, it's it's fancier. All right. Uh, he hired her as the band's uh, vocalist because her mellow tom- timbre was similar to the sound of a saxophone. At the time of these first three recordings in 1930, the usual voicing of the horns would be clarinet at the top, trumpet in the middle, and the trombone at the bottom. But in Mood Indigo, Ellen- Ellington voices the trombone right at the top of the inter- instrument's register and the clarinet at the very lowest. This was unheard of at the time and also created in the studio a so-called mic tone, an effect generated by the overtones of the clarinet and trombone, which was tightly muted as well. Tightly muted as well. The mic tone gives the audio illusion of the presence of a fourth voice or instrument. Ellington used this effect in, in My Solitude, Dusk, and many other pieces throughout his career. The Ellington Band performed and recorded the song continuously throughout its 50 years, both in its original form and as a vehicle for individual soloists. I kept all that in about the voicings and the arrangements and stuff specifically for you, Colin. I, I was Thank like, you. no, I appreciate that. Yeah. So I thought that was uh, kind of cool to flip this. He flipped the script where the script is the arrangement of the instruments. Flip yeah. the score. It's a cool song because the lyrics are like, you're, you don't have the blues. You have your mood is indigo, which is kind of cool. Which it's is like, also which cool because that does now make me realize that 311 just totally chomped that bit, huh? Yeah. Amber is the color of your energy for sure. Definitely a reference to. Very similar to your mood being indigo. Nick Hexum, That's... big fan of uh, Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the only person. No, it's that it's that meme of like, hey, can I copy your homework? Yeah, just don't make it obvious. That's what yeah. it is. Because like, yeah, you can tell it, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so love that album. Uh, um, James, is that 
Is that all? That's it. Though you got about that's Duke all, Ellington. That's, that's, wow, that, that's all I have. And I think there's more Duke Ellington on my playlist to come. So oh, cool. we'll hear more about 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 him coming up. I think. Great. Confirming here. Well, if you'd like to hear more later on, and you want to get yes. the notification that that episode has now come out, you should check out the show's Twitter account at Timeline Scav. You should also check out the Instagram with the same username because we do break rooms all the time, which does remind yeah. me I have actually not done one in a minute, so I need to go out mm. and do one. I've been holding on to those Guy Lombardo ones, uh, so For I haven't been thinking about my break rooms. <laughs> I've been like, hang on to them, hang on to them. The big issue is like, I honestly haven't read much, um, mm-hmm. you know, comics in like, God, like two or three weeks. Mostly just because school stuff has been picking yeah, up, but stuff for sure, yeah. But like, I do think that once I'm done for the semester, I'll probably be reading a, a shitload. Um, yeah, I'll, I do think that once my semester's done, I'll probably be reading just a bunch of them back to back. Okay, now now that I've gotten through that, uh, what we should also get through is the fact that we're on a network, and that is yep. the Scavengers Network, and you can find them at Scavengers Net. If you want to find me, though, you can find me at Colin M. Parker. Uh, but James, where do people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Unabashed James. And also, if you want to find the guy that made the music that you hear at the beginning and the end of this show, his name is Nick Bramald. And you can find him at N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D. Uh, on Twitter, or you can go to nickbramaldcomposer.co.uk. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a recommendation. There's an advertisement for a podcast that I've definitely played on this show before, but I've never given the recommendation out loud by mouth. Uh, What a weird way to say that. But I'm going to give you that recommendation right now. Uh, We have a D&D podcast here on our network called Side Character Quest. We also have another actual play podcast called Myth Takes, which uses currently Monster of the Week. Uh, but we have some friends that do a D&D podcast that actually just recently came to an end. So now is like a good time to just start up with episode one and mm. binge the hell out of it. Uh, and it's Oof. called Evenfell. You can find them on Twitter at Evenfell Podcast uh, or Evenfell.com uh, to find episodes and everything like that. You can get the whole series recap even uh, as of right now. Great little show. So uh, go check it out. Cannot recommend sure. it enough. Um, and I'm very excited to see what the folks of that show do next. Mm. Uh, and with that being said, James, that's going to do it for us on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. That's it. That's so the one. thank you so much for joining us, folks. And as always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Hey, kid, follow me if you're a true believer. Excelsior. scavengers network listener do not adjust your podcast adjusting apparatus this message is meant for consumer data something adjective is coming to the network very timestamp needed on february 17th 2022 get ready to join host names unresolved as they take you through the subject unresolved in the network's newest podcast project title unresolved 
End transmission. Peace out, cool dudes. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.